Well, we're in John 3, and I'm going to actually come down there, and uh, we're going to do a little Bible study down here with you guys. I'm going to come down there, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out a Bible. I want you to pull out a Bible uh, in front of you, and um, I need a page number from John chapter 3. We're reading the book of John, and uh, everybody get, get, thank you, those of you in the front row may need help to get one. Great. John chapter 3. We're reading through the book of John. I hope you're reading during the week. I hope you're reading every day. You're uh, in the chapter. You got a page number for me, Micah? 1064, 1064. Okay, that's in the, in the church Bibles so that you can read it. I hope like next week you should be reading John 4 a little bit every day or read it every day for seven days or whatever else you're, wherever else you're reading in your Bible. I want you to be reading through so that, because next week I'm going to preach on John 4. And we're just going to go through the book of John this way. Um, this passage is so, by the way, it's so good to go through slowly and carefully. You can read every word and every sentence and just be like, what does that mean? And if you have a, this is my favorite Bible. Did you guys know that? I joke about it, the laughter in here for some people. This is, this is it used to say color on every page. Now it just says full color. There's so many good things in this Bible. Like, so you can read it and you'd be like, oh, look, there's a cool picture about some historical thing. And down here is like the explanations of some of the text above. So it's like having a pastor in your Bible every single day. Now I know, I know some of you wish you had one of these Bibles, which is too bad because it's sort of a, you know, us and them, people have them, people who don't, people. No, we're giving these Bibles to anybody who wants one. This one right here is for Jane, okay? Because Jane's Bible study leader is like, will you shut her up about that Bible and give her one? All right. <laughs> they didn't say that, Jane. Nobody said to shut you up. All right. Um, what was I doing? Oh, so we're in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is really cool because this is the place, people know about John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. But also in John chapter 3, it's where he, Jesus uses the phrase born again. Now, some of you are too young to know that there's a little bit of a negative connotation for some of us that are older because the born agains were like a movement in the 80s or whatever, and they were just obnoxious Christians. You know, we talk about being the fragrance of Christ where they were stinky. It was no fun. But it was a way of talking about uh, coming to faith in Jesus and having a relationship with God. And we're going to go old school and reclaim this term born again because it is right out of Jesus' mouth and it's so good. You know who used born again the most, who really kind of got it going for us was Billy Graham. So... You remember Billy Graham's preaching? Look at that old school picture of Billy Graham. Is that the best? If you have an opportunity to read a biography of Billy Graham, like he's a guy who, you know, had like 70 years of solid ministry without a scandal, without messing people up, like just rock solid. It's so fun to read Billy Graham biography. Billy Graham, they said, spoke to, listen to this, 2.2 billion people have heard Billy Graham preach. Is that ridiculous? That is crazy to me. And they estimate 215 million people heard Billy Graham preach live. How is that even possible? That's 66 years of just talking about Jesus. And they, and, and they think that over 2 million people gave their life to Jesus, became Christians listening to him preach. 2 million people. I just love, I just think that's an amazing story. But with all those people having heard him preach, and all of those people being impacted. Do you know what Billy Graham's message was? 
you must be born again. That's what Billy Graham preached. He preached out of this text almost every single time he preached where he just said, here's the simplicity of this message. You need a new start, and that comes from God. And he, he was so popular because, I mean, popular in the sense, not popular, popular, but he was so effective and there was such a draw to him because he preached at a time where in American history, people had ended up going to church, being, feeling like they were Christians versus being whatever else, and they had potentially just attached themselves to the church without actually having a, a relationship with God and he came along going, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I don't, I don't know what, what denomination you are. I don't know what your experience has been. I don't know whether your life lines up being you know, 80% good and 20% nasty or whatever the deal is. You must be born again. And what he meant by that was everybody needs a relationship with God and that only comes through Jesus. And it's this purity that, kind of, that really brought revival, 200 and 15 million people heard him speak. It's so great. Well, I want us to read a little bit, study a little bit of John 3 right now together in your uh, Bibles, and then I'm going to make a few points, and, um, and, and then we will continue on in our, in our worship today. But John 3, this is the story where Nicodemus also enters in. Nicodemus is a great character. You get extra credit, Jane, if you do uh, a study on Nicodemus in that Bible. Is he on there? Is there like a little inset that talks about him or anything like that? Hmm. That's not worth it, then, that Bible. What a dumb, <laughs> dumb Bible that is. All right, John chapter 3. I'm going to ask you after we read this, what do you learn about Nicodemus? What do you know about Nicodemus from just reading this paragraph? Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of this Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. This is the beginning of this encounter. What do you know about Nicodemus? What do you learn about him from reading this text? I want some people to talk back to me, okay? Gio, my friend, first time in our church right here. Gio, raise your hand. First time visiting today. So glad you're here. Pointing him out. I won't point out you if you're your first time in our church unless you're my friend. And uh, so Gio, if you have anything to say, any question, you just raise your hand. If I can get you a coffee, if I can uh, get you a Bible, like... Anything, it's yours, all right, buddy? All right. So um, what do you guys learn about Nicodemus here? All right, well, well hold a whole bunch of, uh, ladies first, and then I'm going to come to you. Yep. He came at night. He came at night. What, what does that mean? He's a night owl? No, I mean, he was hiding. I mean, he was hiding a relationship. Yeah, that's probably why that detail was in there, right? Those, you got to read those details in the scriptures. He came at night. People just don't go out hanging out at night. It's not like the bars are open. They went out at night so they wouldn't be seen. Yeah, good observation. Yeah. I guess uh, we learned that he was a Pharisee. We learned he was a Pharisee. There's some cultural thing yep. about him. Okay, so we learned some, some stuff about his cultural background by the fact that he was a Pharisee. Thank you, Javier. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm repeating you so that everybody online can hear. Um, yeah, yeah, what do we know about being a Pharisee, by the way? What is the cultural stuff associated with that? What is being a Pharisee? Anybody want to share anything that they know? Yep. Uh, 
Yeah, so Jazz, are you preaching my message right now? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> Jazz said, yeah, come on. So Jazz, Jazz led with saying, and he jumped a little bit ahead, but, and you can speak again later, he, he led by saying that they, they knew all this stuff. They were experts in the Jewish religion. That was part of the cultural piece that Javier's uh, commenting on, that he was an expert in the Jewish religion. And the Pharisees were conservative in the Jewish religion. They were spiritual. They believed in it. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They believed that God ruled, uh, called their people in a relationship with them. I mean, they were very spiritual and, and, and religious Jewish people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what? Thank you for asking a question. If you ask questions, you get all the money in my pocket. I don't have any money, Sherry. She said, what's the difference between being a Pharisee and being a member of the Jewish ruling council? So good observation. Well, one of the things we learn about, about Nicodemus is that he was a Pharisee, so he's a religious leader. The second thing we learn about Nicodemus is that he was part of the Jewish ruling council, ruling council which is also known as the Sanhedrin the Sanhedrin, and that had religious and secular leaders on it. It was a political way. It was a way the Jewish people organized themselves under Roman rule, okay? So they were a Roman province, right? And so he was a spiritual leader. He was a political leader. He was a VIP is the point of the Bible study that we're seeing right here. Good. What else do we learn about Nicodemus in this? Yeah, he was, he called Jesus rabbi, and so he was recognizing Jesus was a teacher. In fact, he recognized that, well, what does he say? Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has what? What does it say in your text? Come from God. Come from God. There was a God stirring happening. He was, had a spiritual sensitivity. And in defense of Jazz, I think what Jazz is saying is not that he wasn't spiritually sensitive or spiritually hungry, but that he didn't have full understanding, which is a great observation that Pharisees were supposed to have understood it. And here's a guy coming at night going, I don't know that I get it all. And he asked twice later on in the text, as Jazz was alluding to, how can this be? Or how does that happen? And so he is going, okay, you're speaking of a paradigm that is blowing my mind, right? Good. All right. Any last things about Pharisees? About, uh, Nicodemus. Yep, Nancy. He outed his peers by saying we. He said, we know you're from God. Isn't that interesting? There weren't any other peers with him. Later on, Nicodemus shows up with a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. So we know there was a subgroup of people who were starting to talk about, oh, Lord, is this really true? If this is true, this changes everything. And so he's giving away the fact that there were some spiritually hungry people among that group. Good, Nancy. Good. All right. So what's Jesus's reply? Jesus replies to him, where, where are we? Verse what? The numbers are too small for me to see. Three. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Here's his introduction to the idea of being born again. And we're not going to have time this morning for us to study all the things he says about the kingdom of God. But what do you notice just about, let's just do Bible study. What do you notice about Jesus's reply just in those couple of terms? Or what questions do you have about it? All the money in my pocket, Gio, if you ask a question. So I'm just saying, what do you notice? What do you see? What questions do you have? 
Okay, don't be afraid to make to do the obvious ones, David. Jesus knew that Pharisees considered salvation by works. I'm gonna, let me repeat that. Okay, so Jesus knew in saying this that Pharisees believed that they pleased God, they honored God, they lived out their relationship with God by doing good deeds. And that's how they were obedient to him. And he says something different here. He begins to say something different, to say, actually, you don't get to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. There's a spiritual transaction that needs to happen that he starts to talk about. Good, good observation. What else is in that sentence? Yeah. Okay, sorry, I missed it. He starts off with very truly. Now, why, what, why is that interesting to you? What do you see in that? What's that about? It's setting up the importance of what he's going to say. So good. Truly I say to you, or truly, truly, or if you're King James, verily, or something, right? It's actually that word is two Hebrew words together. Amen, amen, he says. Like, this is true. Okay, Alicia just said, the kingdom of God is available to everyone, but not everyone's experiencing it unless they're born again. We're setting up a, an instruction about how to do this. Good. It's interesting that he used the word kingdom of God. I don't, Nicodemus didn't say anything about kingdom of God, did he? Nicodemus said, uh, something's going on here. There's a God thing happening. And Jesus is like, yeah. Amen, amen. <laughs> He's starting to, unreal, reveal, to reveal who he really is. He's starting to reveal who he really is. Yeah. And so he goes, so listen, there is a God thing. And in fact, no one's going to see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What is, what is he getting at? What's the kingdom of God? I mean, what, why would he use that term? What are your observations there? Why would he say that? Yeah, all the way back. It's the kingdom that he, that he's from. It's his, yeah, that's what he brings, yeah. Well, you're, you're making an implication then that he's saying, I'm the king. Like it's part of my, it's me and the father, it's our kingdom. He has authority and he walks in his authority. Yeah, good. What does the kingdom even mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? What does it mean when somebody says the kingdom of God in the scriptures? What does it even signify? Yeah? It's the place where God reigns on the throne and everyone obeys him. Oh boy, it's the place, he said, where God reigns. Where God reigns on the throne and people live in obedience to him. That is a great definition. Last hour, somebody said it's the rule and reign of God. So Jesus goes, hey, Nicodemus, you recognize God, there's something going on here. What you're really longing for is the rule and the reign of God. You're looking to experience, that's what the word see means there, to live in and experience and perceive that God is ruling and reigning. And you can't do that unless you're born again. The implication there is God's not ruling and reigning over you. He's not your king unless you're born again. There's not a 
yeah, it's not the typical kingdom they were thinking or expecting, which was a political, a physical manifestation that they would be God's people ruling themselves with a king and, and with God over them. Yep, it was a spiritual kingdom. Yep, Geo, here we go. All right, let's talk about it. Yep, thank you for asking that question. All the money in my pocket for you. And that's what happens. He goes on, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to answer that in the next few minutes. What does it mean then? What does that mean? And that's exactly what Nicodemus says. Look at, Nicodemus says, wait a minute, how can someone, first of all, he gets super literal, right? How can someone be born again, or be, how can someone be born when they are old? You guys in your Bibles looking at it, verse four? Nicodemus asks, surely, uh, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Now, he was a smart person. He was an educated person. He clearly was not asking if Jesus really meant that it was going to be a physical rebirth. So here's the money question. What was Nicodemus asking then? Yep. He's asking how could he be reborn again? What's he getting at? He's asking, what do you mean by that for sure? Yep, Luke? He wants a... a okay. Okay, he does. He needs something to grasp. He's asking, what does this really mean? A physical representation is being born. Like, I get that's not it. So what is it that I'm trying to grasp? Yeah, yeah. This is so good. He's asking, what does it mean? Yeah, Garf. What is the process that I must follow? Yeah, yeah. How is this going to unfold? And he goes, and later he asks almost the same question. He says, how can this be? A little bit later, he's asking, how does it unfold? And part of his instinct here is to say, listen to this, you guys. And, and, a, and a high schooler came up with this last hour. I didn't mean that to shame you. I'm just saying this is such an awesome insight. She said, he's wondering, after living so long one way, how could he start over? Is this really the kingdom of God coming in a way that's different than how he's tried to find life? Is this really what's being asked of me that I would start and think totally differently about my life and about pleasing God and about being in a relationship with God? Isn't that powerful? Well, Jesus goes on to talk a whole bunch about being born again. And to Gio's question that I want to get to, he describes that being born again is about a work of the Spirit. Look at verse 5, and then I'm, we're not going to get to do a whole lot more than this, except I want to jump down to the, the famous verses too. Jesus answered, amen and amen. He goes, look at, how can I get into my mother's womb? Like, this is not it. There's a whole, like, what does it do? Jesus is like, yep. He goes, amen and amen. Truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of, of water and of the Spirit. And where you see water, water is always a symbol of purification. So whether he meant baptism or whether he meant the Jewish rituals of cleansing or whether he meant the Holy Spirit, who later in John chapter 7, it says that the Holy Spirit is a, is a, is a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 4, 
right? Where next week we're going to talk about the passage where he says that the living water will flow from within you. So when he says you're born, unless you're born of water and the spirit, what he's saying is unless you have, listen, listen, church, unless you have allowed the spirit of God to cleanse you, right, and restore you spiritually, start over, new birth, unless you've, you've allowed the spirit of God to cleanse you and renew you, you're going to miss out on God's kingdom. That's what being born again means right there. That there's a spiritual work of cleansing and renewing that comes only from God. Does that make sense? And then look at how Jesus characterizes it. Jump down with me in verse 16. Now, some of you, if you have red, red letters in your Bible where Jesus speaks, you realize that it's, it's not red anymore. Actually, I realized this is the very, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I did not know that they weren't sure. They're not sure whether these are Jesus's words or the author's words. John 3, 16 is the most famous verse in the Bible, and I never knew that I didn't know who spoke it. Did you know that? So John 3, 16, it may be Jesus. Some of your Bibles have quotation marks around it because Jesus is continuing to speak, and some of your Bibles think that it's maybe John, the narrator. Either way, look at the truth that it says. So this whole idea that becoming, um, that entering into that kingdom is about the, the Spirit cleansing and renewing. Here's the explanation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Now, I'm going to summarize this in a minute, but I want your observations. So this is where Jesus fits in. We can't live under the rule and the reign of God with the life that God offers us. That's the kingdom of God. We can't live in the kingdom of God unless we're born again. And being born again is being refreshed and renewed and cleansed by a spiritual work by the Holy Spirit. So where does Jesus fit in? What do you learn about Jesus in this, these couple of verses, this paragraph? What do you see? What do you learn about Jesus here? Let's make some observations from the text. Being born again means having faith in Jesus. Okay, being born again has something to do with being faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus what? Okay, that he is the son of God, that he's the Lord. He declares himself in this text as being the savior. Yeah. What else do we learn about Jesus? How does Jesus fit into this? Seth? God sent him to save. There is a saving action. And in love, God sent him. Loving... God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus that there's some transaction in the heavenlies and we know that that transaction is the cross. That God saved the world through Jesus dying on the cross. That's the activating force 
of this born again spiritual transaction. Yeah. So verse 16 talks about the non believers are condemned already. Yeah. So there's this past tense thing happening that is out of place. I'm curious. Yeah, it's not past tense as much as it's it's a statement of position. So she said, what's the verse about the verse 18 about these non-believers stand condemned? What this is really saying is 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 this. Those who receive the gift that Jesus died to restore and refresh them, those people are now in the kingdom. They're receiving the life that God offers. Those people who have said, no, I don't want that work of God in my life, it says they stand condemned, meaning they've not received any refreshing, any cleansing, and any restoration from God because the way that God chose to do that was by sending Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for all people's sin. Romans says the wages of sin is death, meaning spiritual death, meaning separation from God. But the gift of God, the, voice, the, the verse goes on to say, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've got this Jesus' solution to the problem of being separated from, from God. And so God so loved the world, he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's where the part Jesus plays. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, that's a cool image, this, this restoration. of, But the condemnation there is about the weight of their sin still resides on them because they didn't allow Jesus to remove that from them. So let me summarize it with a couple of principles and, uh, and, and then tell us what we, I think that might mean for us. So at some point, what this text teaches us about this journey of being born again is that at some point in our journey, we... Uh, we get a sense that um, God is at work in this. At some point, there's some beginning of spiritual hunger that happens where we go, uh, God is doing something here. And some of you may be in that place right now. And you're like, okay, like Nicodemus and all the people before Nicodemus in the, at the end of chapter two, they're like, oh gosh, look at these signs. We see Jesus at work. In fact, Nicodemus may have seen so many miracles that he finally just couldn't stand it. He was like, what do I, how, what do, I do with this? You've got to be from God. And so in our journey, we begin this process of going, well, at some point, we get a sense, uh, something's up here. God must be real, and i got to figure it out. And then the text teaches that experiencing this kingdom, seeing the kingdom, can only come about by being born again. That's the, the, the transaction that happens and, and let me just add this to it. Then, and that rescue, that is the work of God. It's not something that we do. It's not something that you can do. It's a transaction that happens in the heavenlies. Jesus actually talks about that earlier in the text in parts that we, that we missed. He's like, man, this is happening in heaven. That when we now look upon Jesus, we can receive this restoration from God. It's a work of God that's not something we can do. We're separated, we're spiritually away from God, 
And then when we say yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers, then we are born again. We've started a new relationship. We were dead spiritually, now we're born spiritually. We've moved from death to life. We've moved from separation from God to restoration with God. We've moved from experiencing that we're guilty of our sin to being justified and free from our sin. And that's why it's called good news. So out of his love then, God offers to do this that we might have eternal life. Oh, it's motivated by his love. You see that in the text. It's so good. Out of his love, he does this so that we might have life and have it eternal. I, I want to I, it would be extra credit for you, and, but if you memorize it by next week, I'll give you $100. And that's Titus chapter 3. I'm not giving you $100. Um, <laughs> Titus chapter 3 has this summary verse that's so great. Verse 3. At one time, 3, 3 and following. At one time, we were foolish. We too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. This is, this is not living under the rule and reign of God, right? This is doing what we want to do. And we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Like, that's just the way we do it as a human, left on our own. Then it says, but, listen to this text. Maybe you're already there in Titus chapter 3. But when the, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Isn't that a great summary verse of the good news of being born again? And So out of his love, God offers to do this so that we might have eternal life. And the last part of it that this text teaches is simply that we receive this gift by believing or trusting in him. This gift is received not, by, not because we deserve it, but because we go, oh, that's incredible news that God provided forgiveness. God provides a restoration. I could be without God. I can be with God. The decision is to say, I choose to be with God, and I received the forgiveness of Jesus. And I want to start being alive spiritually, and that's being born again. In other words, that's the hour of decision, as Billy Graham's radio program was called for 66 years. It was called the hour of decision because he preached you must be born again. And you've got to make a decision if that's what you want to do, is to begin this relationship with God. Well, that decision's on us. That decision was before Nicodemus. And in fact, I want to show you, in just a second, I want to show you a, a clip uh, of the Chosen um, show where Nick, he interacts with Nicodemus. And by the way, they've given us permission to, uh, to show this, and we want to make sure that you know that um, we give credit that you can, you can watch that. Well, it'll be on the chat on Facebook Live. You can go back and see it. You can watch that at, at watch.angelstudios.com slash the Chosen. So angelstudios.com slash the Chosen, or you can download the Chosen app on your phone. So this is... By permission, we're able to use this clip, you guys, but I really recommend this 
miniseries, The Chosen. But Nicodemus has already had this conversation with Jesus about being born again and about him coming to seek. In fact, Nicodemus comes because he even says, The Chosen has them saying he saw Mary being delivered by, from demons and he's like, I tried to deliver her and set her free and I couldn't do it. In other words, my religion couldn't do it. My way couldn't do it. But you came and you set her free and it blew him away. And so he comes to Jesus at night to have this conversation. I showed this part of the conversation because at the end, Nicodemus is being offered a decision about whether he's going to be a Jesus follower. And it is so cool. I just want to give you one quick heads up at the very end when Nicodemus is considering this invitation to follow Jesus. He gets on his knees before Jesus and he quotes from Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm. He is a Jewish scholar who knows all the passages in the Old Testament that cry out for a savior. And the messianic Psalm 2 talks about a king, kingdom, who is called a son. And the psalm says, look you important people, look you rulers, look you men and women, you kiss the son, acknowledge him, or his wrath may stay on you. And Nicodemus quotes this before Jesus saying, are you the savior? And he acknowledges Jesus. But look at what he does with this invitation. Check out this video. Stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed.
Is this... Is the kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and... He can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof, anyway. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. surprising and powerful thing about that clip for me is that a man who had been searching all his life for the truth in recognizing that Jesus was from God and that the kingdom was coming he bowed and was fearful that he would be under the wrath and so he quotes from Psalm 2 kiss the son lest he be angry and destroy you and Jesus quotes the second half of that verse in Psalm 2 as he lifts him and says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. The new story, the being born again was, you no longer have to be under the wrath of God. For the son has made a way. And you need to decide if you want to live in a relationship with God, now is the time of decision. Is that beautiful? You must be born again, Jesus says. Church, there are many of you who have been a part of this movement forever. And we rehearse and celebrate and renew that commitment again today. I find my refuge in you. And for some of you in this room, you've been on a journey of going, whoa, there's a God thing going on and I don't get it all. I don't really know what's happening. And some of you even today for the very first time need to surrender in belief and trust that Jesus has made a way and simply tell God in your heart of hearts that you'd love to be in a relationship with him for you must be born again. Ah, oh, it's such good news. And that's why we come to this table. We come to the table regularly. We come monthly just as a reminder. Because in here, Jesus said, I mean, he was with his disciples on the last week of his life, and he said, he took bread, and he, after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. This is what's happening. I'm going to the cross for you. 
and it'll be broken for you. It'll be crushed for you. I'm going, my body's going to be pierced for you. He took on all the wrath of God. And then he said, after supper, he took the cup and he said, in the same way, this cup is a new covenant. There's a new thing going on with us and God. The new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat the bread and you drink the cup, remember what he said? He said, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim that this is what Jesus came to do, to restore, not condemn, but restore people to God. And he did it through his work on the cross. So we proclaim that today and we rehearse that truth today. I'm going to invite you to take the cup. Hopefully you've got one. There's, you can jump up and grab one in the back if you missed. And open the, the side with the bread in it. And even as we're about to take together the elements, I'm going to invite you. If once again you're ready to renew your love for God and your re- your acceptance of the work of the Holy Spirit to make you born again. Then I'm going to invite you to eat. And if you are for the very first time even saying, I want that relationship with God, then we invite you to join us as well. So church, this is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Take and eat. Removing the cap on the the juice, the wine as it were. This is the blood of Christ that washed all of our sin away and made it possible to be restored into a relationship with God. Not just our past sin, but our present sin and every sin that will go forward. We're made clean because of what Jesus did. So drink, for this is the new covenant in his blood. We give thanks to God for the good news of his restoration. Let's stand together and respond in celebration and worship.